Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Sensuous Sounds of InfoSec, where we discuss all things information, all things security, and all things information security. I'm Ben Maliso. And I'm Matt Snotty. And Matt, there are just some times where, as much as I love capitalism and the free market and making the choices I want to make for my business and myself, I feel just a little bit like I'm skirting up to a certain line. You know what I'm saying? Mm, yeah. So, in other words, you you face dilemmas, and yeah. and whether you, you know you're doing something that's that's right or or moral, or is there another word I'm searching for here? Uh, ethics, I think. Ethics, ethics is what we're going for. Uh, yeah. um, and, and I know Robin and I had an episode about this last year about. Um, uh, great moral questions and quandaries uh, from a philosophical standpoint. I want to boil it down to its essence and talk about actual real-world ethical dilemmas that might be faced by not only security practitioners, but, but any folks in business. And as security practitioners, we're supposed to support the business decisions, right? Right, so, right. Yeah, and, and supporting the business is always paramount, but sometimes that... Uh runs into into personal beliefs or personal uh, 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 thoughts about, you know, whether something is right or wrong, especially in security where we do a lot of stuff kind of in the shadows and we don't have a lot of oversight. Um, yeah, sometimes it's it's up to our own personal code of ethics or our profession's code of ethics to, to kind of tell us what the right thing is to do. And there might actually be uh, regulatory or legal constraints depending on where you are and, and where your customers are. And, and we see yeah. that all the time, especially in international uh, milieu like the cloud. Um, <laughs> so let's, let's take turns bouncing some things. I know we talked a little bit about this before the episode. Uh, let's bounce some examples off of each other and get a read on where we each sit. Sure. Um, and, and I'll go ahead and I'll start because this is, I think, how we started the conversation. This happens to me on a disturbingly uh, regular basis where I get spam, mm -hmm. sales solicitations from yep. competitors. And, and they all do the same thing. And, and I understand this as... Uh, a trainer and, you know, a teacher, they all do the same thing. They all say, we have this great learning platform online. We'd like to give you a free tour. Uh, when can we sign you up for a membership or, or when can we talk to you and step you through this thing? Mm -hmm. And, and I'm always, this, this is where my ethical dilemma comes into play. I'm I'm fascinated to know what the competition is doing. I'd like to see what their <laughs> content is like. I'd like to see what their delivery mechanism is like. I'd like to see what their pricing is like. Mm -hmm. And this is normal business intelligence level stuff. I mean, you you should have a good re if you're running a Burger King, you should know what the price of a Big Mac right. is. You know, that's just that's a, that's something you should be doing. Um, so I, I'm always somewhat reticent to take them up on their offer. And I feel compelled individually, personally. Well, let me, let me ask you that. Let me just go ahead and ask you the question first before I tell you how I respond. <laughs> but <laughs> from your perspective, would it be unethical for me to receive a free 
access, a free membership to somebody else's learning environment in order to assess their content quality and pricing. And and you're saying this in the context of you also being a learning content provider. So you're so in other words, this is a direct competitor to you. So that's where the the, the the question comes into play. And yeah, we see that Correct. a lot in 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 my uh, uh, space of uh, uh, in my industry, where yeah, there's a lot of competition, particularly with IT and security professionals, and and everybody offers various levels of and, and services and things like that. And a lot of them will come to my customers and, and try to woo them away with their own little sales pitch. And the funny thing is, my customers, uh, I, I don't mean to toot my own horn, but they, they, they generally love being with me and they'll share with me, oh yeah, your competitor came to us. To which I usually say, great, did you, you know, uh, did, did you listen to their sales pitch? Did you see what they had to offer? Because I want to know um, that you're going to stay with me and that you find my services, you know, to be of more value to you. But anyways, all that to say, yeah, they often uh, share things like their pricing structures, their offerings and stuff like that with me, just kind of as a, uh, you know, an aside, or, you know, because we have a good relationship. And I generally don't do a lot with that information other than evaluate, okay, well, I'm doing what I'm doing is, or, or what I'm doing is correct or, or right or something like that. Cost effective. Is, yeah, yeah. And you're the giving question, value to your, to your, to your customers. Right, right, right. But the, the, the overarching question is, is it ethical to, to take that information? And from my perspective, and, and back to the, the original scenario being a, a learning content provider, I see the secret sauce as um, being the proprietary information that's being sold. Um, you know, the, 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 the knowledge that's being, being sold to you, you know, from you as the teacher to your students. And it would be unethical to steal that, yes. Would it be unethical to to take them up and, and kind of you know kick the tires on what their services are? I, d I don't think so. I think that I, I would find that pretty hard to say that that's unethical. Uh, I mean, a little bit sleazy, possibly, but at the same time, yeah, like you said, it's business intelligence and it's uh, you know learning who your competition is. I don't see a real problem with that. What are your thoughts on it? Uh, that that I have long felt that way. I've. I, I, largely I don't like spam as a marketing campaign anyway. And I, <laughs> I, I have looked at it as, well, if they didn't do their research into their customer and they're just taking a shotgun approach and sending out these invites far and wide, well then fuck them for yeah. not knowing that I'm the competition <laughs> and right. it's their fault for, it's like a vampire. Once you invite them into your home, you have, it, right. or the police, once you invite them into your home, you no longer have any control over the situation. Right. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. But on the flip side, I, I always feel obligated to go ahead and inform them. Sure. I'd love to take a tour of your learning system. Uh, by the way, am I, I'm a direct competitor and I will use the information <laughs> against you. This this stops spam from those entities faster than any other <laughs> any other mechanism I've ever used. It's it's really wonderful. Yeah, uh, yeah. But by the same token, if they choose to proceed with the the free tour or the free service to you, then then yeah, you you you've taken your safety. You know, you they they have effectively said yes. Please go ahead and 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 kick the tires on our service and see what you think of it. Yeah, and then there's absolutely no ethical, you know, right, uh, fault right. blowback from that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. They have consented to to giving you this information. So informed consent. <laughs> 
So, but yeah, so, it, but if you don't tell them that you're a direct competitor, is there still a, an ethical boundary that you're crossing? I and don't know because yeah. I, I don't, I still don't think so. I, because yeah, like you said, if, if they didn't do their due diligence and, and determine that, that you're not someone who would, who would ever sign up for their, their services to begin with, and you're a direct competitor on top of that. Yeah, that's on them that they, they screwed up. So what? Agreed. And realistically, this is all, it's not public domain. It's all, it's all, uh, uh, open market material. Like you said, um, somebody who works at Burger King is not legally, morally, or ethically prevented from going to shop at McDonald's. I mean, as a matter of fact, again, this should be part of what your competition is always doing, gathering intelligence about what your product and pricing and customer service are uh, so that everybody can be better served. And in the end, the customer, the the end customer, the market itself is improved overall. Um, So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, And and, hey, that's the... the I was going to say that's the basis of the free market is, you know, if, it, you know, if you can build a better mousetrap, then, then do it. So by all means. And if the competition wants to buy my books and watch my videos, Hey, more power <laughs> to as long as they got a credit card, I don't give a shit. You know, that's right. Free. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because, and, and again, to go back, I mean, the, the secret sauce is the copyrighted stuff. It's not how you, how you market it or sell or what your pricing structure is or, or even your student list or stuff like that. I mean, that's all, you know, fairly free and open to for people to find. So yeah, whatever means it takes to to find that information, then I think that as a as a competitive business person, you're you're almost obliged to do that type of work. I I agree. I agree. Not that I again, I don't ever take them up on the offer without informing them, but I, I think it's... <laughs> so, <laughs> and, so you, you, know you what? use the reverse psychology then to make sure that they stop spamming you. They never call me again. Um and and. I'll even go a step further. I'll say it's not the copyrighted intellectual property that I think is the secret sauce because by and large, nothing I've ever written and you've read my shit. Nothing I've ever written is wholly unique in the universe. I'm not saying anything that hasn't been said a thousand times before uh, and by better, smarter people. Um, I think the secret sauce is the delivery and uh, that can't be replicated anyway. so yeah, so yeah, like you said, I, I'm not concerned about that stuff from my end or or from the the competition. All right, yeah. why don't you go ahead? You throw one of your uh, uh, ethical examples at us. Okay, so this is one that I've dealt with for a long time, being a business person now for twenty some years. Um, so sometimes you have a client that is difficult to deal with. Uh, they have outrageous demands. They, they're calling you at all hours. They're uh, expecting things that are outside of the normal uh, expectations for the services or goods that you provide. Um, as someone who uh, uh, charges by the hour uh, most of the time, um, do you feel like it is ethical to upcharge them at a higher hourly rate or or or, or tack on a fee or a tax of some sort because of the, the the sheer amount of difficulty that you're dealing with with this client the asshole tax yes <laughs> yes um I, I, i'm gonna answer that in two ways if you don't mind first of all from a general consulting perspective by all means yeah gouge the heck out of them uh <laughs> based on their credit rating and ability and willingness to pay um 
from a now here's where mine gets a little bit weird because mine's in a quasi academic environment and it's instructional. There are necessarily going to be some students who have a a greater need than some others. And I don't ever want to dissuade anyone from reaching out and from uh, asking me for anything. Yeah. To the to the point where I've had I've had students who've wanted to call me on my personal time and talk for two hours about <laughs> about stuff that's only tangentially related to the material. Uh-huh. And again, I, I, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings and I, and I don't want to come across as too mercenary, but that's time that I might be able to apply to training 10 people or a hundred people or creating material that could be used by a, a thousand people. Sure. Um, I would say yes and no. I would say yes and no, depending on what the demands of the client are and what the circumstances might be. And that's one of the great things about the market too. And about being a, a sole proprietor is that you get to make that determination as to what a billable hour is <laughs> right, and what right. your, and what your rate will be. Um, right. But on the, on the, on the converse, I would say that in certain special circumstances for those clients you have built a relationship with, uh, like I know you've had some customers for going on 20 years now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've got very long-term relationships with some of my customers. The goodwill that you've instituted between those customers necessarily lends them a greater weight. And if they were to right. ask you for something that would normally be undue beyond your price list, you're obviously going to respond. If it's two in the morning right. and they call you up, you're going to help them out because it just, that's yeah. in everybody's best interest. So Right. Right. So, yeah. There are legitimate yeah. business reasons not to do it, but yeah. but there are also one-off clients that you don't have an existing relationship with <laughs> that make it clear from the get-go <laughs> that this is going to be a painful relationship. <laughs> oh, oh, and to begin the relationship? Oh, yeah, by all means. If someone, <laughs> if someone comes at me hot and heavy from jump, yeah. oh, yeah, they're, they're getting the special premium rate. I mean, of of twice <laughs> what the normal rate is. Yeah, no. Right. But if they if they come to me hat in hand and say, "Look, I really need this, and I'm really worried about past. I already failed it twice. Can you help?" I'll work with them. I'll work with mm -hmm. them because I understand yeah. the circumstances. We all been there, and and yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So, but but what do you, you do? You I gotta more... ask what you do. Oh. I don't want to give away industry secrets. But yeah, there are yeah, ways trade secrets. To, uh, <laughs> to, to, I mean, again, billing by the hour, you can you can tack on, without too much notice, an extra half hour, forty five minutes of of billable work, which will translate to you know uh, a, a, a tax of sorts, and it all kind of gets mixed in with the invoice because how often are your invoices or my invoices in my case, how often are my invoices actually gone over line by line? Uh, with a long-term client, they're not. All they look at is the bottom number, and they say, "Okay, write them a check for that." Um, so I can, uh, I can, and I have. I haven't necessarily felt good about it, and I don't really know whether it's ethical. But I can, and I have uh, padded bills uh, to, <laughs> uh, you know, by by hiding fees in with a uh, you know hourly rates. You know, something took two and a half hours. Well, I'm going to bill them for. 
uh, 3.25 hours, for instance. And, and then that 0.75 hours becomes my, my little kicker because I had to deal with something that was unusual or, or that I didn't want to deal with. And as long as they still feel like they're getting value, right. then, then everybody still feels good about the transaction. Right, right. And that's what it comes down to is, yeah, does, does the client see me as being shady or, 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 or trying to rip them off? And, and uh, no, they don't. I, I don't think that I've, uh, I had one client once that thought I was trying to rip them off and, and I get rid of those clients pretty quickly. <laughs> but, but yeah, in general, yeah. Uh, but yeah, the asshole tax, it's always something that we as consultants uh, or industry professionals who charge by the hour, who aren't beholden to a salary or a fixed uh, hourly rate per se. Our time uh, clock. Yeah. Yeah. We have those in our back pocket and, and uh, yeah, if we think that you're a pain in the ass, then yeah, you might get a small, you know, it, it, and, by, and by small, I mean 50 to to $200 upcharge on your bill, because I just thought that you were paying the butt to deal with. Yep. And, and I'd flip it around too. It works the other way. I've had clients try to lowball me mm -hmm. where, where they've made me an offer uh, on creating content for them or delivering content for them, that was way, way under the going rate um, mm -hmm. and actually less than minimum wage. And that that's the other weird thing mm -hmm. with consultancy and with uh, professional services is that we don't get minimum wage. I mean, you know, right. the hours it takes is the hours it takes. Um, and I've, I've, I've said, uh, let me refer you to some of my colleagues in the field. Let me refer you to some competitors because what yeah. I'm offering is not what you want to pay. And that's, that's just something you, you either don't want to uh, afford or you can't afford. Right, right. Yeah. In that case, I mean, that, in that specific instance, that's being, I, I think, exceedingly ethical because you're admitting to the client, look, I can't do what you want for the price that you're willing to pay. Here, let me find, in fact, it goes above and beyond if you're willing to, point them in the direction or put them in contact with someone else who is in their, their uh, uh, range of what they would be willing to pay. In that case, I'm providing them a service. I'm doing their shopping for them. I've already found the provider that can meet their need and, right. and they should be paying me for that. I, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, you but, should be getting a okay. finder's fee or a kickback. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, which which right, actually so, that leads me to one of the other things that was on my list was oh, sure. uh, uh, kickbacks. Uh, so as, as a service provider, um, as a consultant, sometimes I bring in other vendors that provide a certain service. And in one particular instance, I brought in a vendor that I had a, a decent, you know, a good relationship with, uh, had no expectations of it, but they landed the sale. It was a, a voice over IP, a VoIP system. And they called me a few weeks after the deal was done. They said, Hey, where do we send, um, your finder's fee check to? And I, I had an ethical dilemma because I hadn't disclosed to the client that uh, I would be getting that. I had, because I had no idea myself. You didn't have that doing. expectation. Right. And I didn't want for it to get back to the client that I was receiving a check because of, 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 of them taking on this vendor. And my initial reaction was to tell them. And in fact, I do this with, with several clients, even if it's like a little gift card or something that I had another client that, um, uh, they said, hey, you're doing a great job. We do this for all of our employees. Here's a gift card. And I refused it because uh, I, I said it's it's my company's policy not to take any types of these, you know, of gifts of, of this sort. And some companies have that type of thing. But this check was substantial from this VoIP vendor. <laughs> <laughs> 
This wasn't a $25 Panera <laughs> gift card. Now, you're not turning down a, a free coffee. This is, <laughs> right. This is right. a car payment you're talking right. about. Right. And so, but, but, but at, this, at the same time, my, I, I do, I, I don't have a written company policy, but in, in general, my company's policy is no, I don't take any kind of kickbacks. I don't take, take any kind of gifts because I'm on the up and up and I don't want to give anybody, the vendor or the customer, any impression that I had anything to do with this relationship being, being done. And I think that's the important thing here. Uh, and I'll say a couple of things about kickbacks. Uh, and kickbacks such a loaded term. The other is referral fee, you know, right. which, yeah. is, Finder which fee, is the, you know, whatever. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. Um, or bird dogging, as they used to say in sales. Um, <laughs> right, right. It, it, it's really interesting because what you're trying to avoid, and I, and I think we all understand this, is a perception of undue influence on your professional estimation of the value that that vendor is going to give to your customer. Mm -hmm. So are you picking a vendor because you have a professional relation or because you have a personal relationship with them? Are you picking that vendor because they're going to pay you? Or are you picking that vendor because you know they're cheap, fast, good, and they're going to give your customer the best value and they're someone you know and trust and have built a relationship with? Right. I think, I think it's the same thing about informed consent that as long as you tell your customer, hey, look, I have a professional relationship with a network of other providers that we all work together on various projects. And this is why I would bring them in as mm -hmm. opposed to saying, oh, let me go shopping on your behalf and I'll find one that I think is the best as yeah. if you were picking them randomly, which you are not. Um, right. I think that has value. And as long as you inform the customer, the customer shouldn't feel as if, you're pimping out their business and instead they should feel lucky that you know enough providers that you can bring the right one in and, and patch the hole in their in their needs right right yeah yeah i, I think that's okay okay well i didn't tell the customer <laughs> but, but is it is because you didn't know prior right, yeah right, yeah yeah and 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 do i have an obligation ethically to tell the customer after i've received the check Oh, by the way, I got a kickback, or do I just kind of go, uh, well, you know, this is a nice little surprise, and uh, <laughs> you, you know what? I, I'm going to say that's the thing that makes it different, and and yeah. I think in criminal law, this is what they call mens rea, right? This is be intent mm -hmm. because you had no expectation of the payoff, then you didn't change your professional recommendation in any way, True. shape, or form. True. And in the future, in the future dealing with that same provider, you would make that announcement to the customer yeah. because now you know that there is that, that business arrangement. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I, I think that's fine. Now, here's the other thing I wanted to say about kickbacks. In Louisiana, where I live, we have made that part of our social fabric. It is a hallowed tradition dating back hundreds of years, literally, mm -hmm. called the lanyap. And I don't it's, know what that means. It, it, it's a, I think it's quasi French or Cajun, but it's a kickback. It's it's a fancy French way and a, a an affectation socially of a kickback. Okay, and so lanyap is. 
whenever you go and buy something at a local shop, whatever that thing might be, you go into a, a bookstore and you buy a book, they give you a, a free bookmark along with it. Okay. And those things, it's a little gift for you, mm -hmm. the customer. Well, the reason that, again, kickbacks are not supposed to be on the menu and the reason why kickback has a loaded term is because you're putting undue influence beyond and above what it is, the list price of the thing it is that you're offering and what you're selling, you know. Um, okay. But this is this is Louisiana. This is New Orleans. This is. This is how they operate, and they've been doing it for forever. Right. You, you would be, you would be looked at askance if you were to make the <laughs> suggestion that hey, if you give me something beyond the value of what I paid for, one, I'm already paying for it because now it's built into the price because you you know, or two, yeah. now you're talking entirely subjective. You know, what is the lanyap you're giving that customer versus what's the lanyap you're giving me? And is this uniform? And how do we know? You know, it, it yeah. distorts the market and the pricing structure and the value of what the customer is paying for. So it's, it's silly. It's a tradition that's kind of smirked at. Um, and I, I've always found it just ironic that they have they've they've institutionalized kickbacks it's part of their <laughs> culture <clears throat> so yeah so like a free bookmark i mean obviously we can look at that and say well that's pretty trivial and costs almost nothing to the vendor but you're saying this occurs on much bigger scales as well so like if you buy a car then you might get a free motorcycle a hand job <laughs> yeah um <laughs> You know, I mean, it's like if you buy a politician, you also get, you know, right. a, a license to build at this uh, corner lot. Right, you know, right, I right. mean, I mean, this is again, it's Louisiana nepotism. Yeah. Uh, uh, all of these things have, have become hallowed through usage and time. Um, it, it's a it's a very different world. Yeah. Uh, than the rest of the country, for sure. Well, it's a different culture down there. But hey, you got uh, you got gumbo and jambalaya, so it all works out. And I blame France. I, I think they're the root of all evil. So, <laughs> France, <laughs> it's their in, it's their influence. All right, so I've got another one for you. Sure. This happens to me all the time. Also, as a sole proprietor and a whatever, headhunter reaches out to me. He's got a listing for a, a, a position. You, you know, security. Mm -hmm. And um, it's been redacted in all of those elements of the listing that would identify the hiring company. Mm -hmm. Because the headhunter makes money. They get, you know, typically 20% of the annual salary of a candidate that they brought to the employer that, that the employer ends up hiring. Right. That's how the headhunter makes their money is by placing Correct. with these companies. So Correct. Is it unethical for me if if I was interested in uh taking a job for an employer, which I'm hopefully not <laughs> uh, anytime soon. That's something I'd like to avoid. Um, but would it be unethical for me if, if I take that listing and there are enough 
identifying terms. There's enough unique verbiage mm -hmm. in that thing that when I do a simple web search, I immediately find who that listing was from because they've also published it publicly on their website. Mm -hmm. And the head the only thing the headhunter has done in this situation is copied and pasted that text and delivered it to their prospective clientele or uh, the candidates, their fodder, their product, right. me. Right. If I was to go and apply directly to the employer, as opposed to going through the headhunter, is mm -hmm. that unethical? That's a good question. Um, because on the one hand, the only reason you know about the position is because of the headhunter. Correct. So the headhunter, uh, assuming that you got the job, the headhunter deserves something because he puts you in, in touch, you know, like, like the finder's fee, like the kickback, like the, uh, uh, the bird dogging. Uh, the only reason you knew to apply for it was because of the headhunter. However, as you said, the headhunter takes a percentage of, of what ultimately would be your salary. Whereas if you went directly to the company, uh, presumably, assumedly, that 20%, let's say, would go, would go to you and not to the headhunter. Or would stay with the employer. The employer's not going to pay me the extra 10% that they would find, right, that they would right. give to an employing service, right? Right. To the head. Right. I don't know. So but maybe yeah. I could negotiate for that as well. Yeah. As a self-identified yeah. candidate. Yeah. So, um, if a, a, and again, this kind of goes back to the quality of, of someone's doing business. If the headhunter only does only redacts the uh, uh, the employer, the company that that's doing the hiring, and leaves everything else intact, and it's searchable. Again, I think that it's incumbent upon you as the candidate to do your due diligence, and if you can figure out who it is, good on you. It should be the headhunter's job to obscure that well enough, change the verbiage so it can't be uh, 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 searched on. Um, you know, that's part of what they're, they're, they're taking that 10, 20% for is to make sure that they're the exclusive brokers for, for this job. So if you're able to circumvent it, that's not unethical. That's, that's good business. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of been my perspective too. And again, I think this all stems from spam marketing because yeah. what the headhunters are actually doing is they're searching the job postings online. Then they're searching resumes online because I think I probably had some resume on monster.com or, or some, you know, uh, Talios or whatever it's called. You know, I probably have those from 20 years ago listed. I, I, I probably still have a resume all, on monster.com somewhere yeah, from 25 yeah. years ago, too. <laughs> exactly. And, and I think what the headhunters are just doing is they're searching that and, and LinkedIn and they're doing keyword matches, yeah. and then they're spamming everyone who pops up in their in their search. We're talking about a very low level of effort. Right. And in fact, these headhunters could be scripts for all I know. True. Um, except that I would expect scripts to have better spelling in their email responses to me. <laughs> um, uh -huh. uh, I, so, Yes, I think for that level of effort and to counter spam marketing, fuck them again for not yeah. obscuring the details of the employer and for looking for that low-hanging fruit. They're not actually offering any value to the market. They're just living off the scraps that the market has built into right. it. 
Um, if I was truly searching for a job, I could go find those jobs just as easily by doing right. a web search. The time and effort that they've saved me are almost worthless. Now, if it's a targeted referral, if it's a headhunter who knows me or knows of my work yeah. and has a customer that specifically needs someone who does what I do, great. That's a different animal right. altogether. And by all means, then that headhunter deserves that referral fee for putting the two of us. Together. Yeah, I was about to say there's there, there's a there's a threshold, there's a level of um, um, employment, I think, where, where headhunting does make sense. If you're getting into senior management, C-level, I mean, whenever people do, uh, uh, you know, Fortune 500 does uh, executive searches, or if you're a college and you're looking, you know, doing doing a search for a new president, yeah, uh, you, uh, using a headhunter and um, that saves you as the institution time, <clears throat> and you know you're not going to get these candidates any other way. So yeah, having that intermediary, I mean, yeah, they they they, they probably earn their fee. Now these are also probably, you know, in the in the high five figure, low six figure finding fees as well. These aren't your your Joe Blow forty five thousand dollar a year, you know, uh, server monkey type jobs. These are, you know, five hundred thousand dollar a year jobs. <laughs> so you want you need very specific types of people. In that case, yeah, I do see the value that that a headhunter and and this is not to disparage any headhunters out there who actually are legitimate and doing their jobs well. I'm sure that that you uh uh, uh bring, I'm glad you know. that I'll disparage them gladly. You're fucking vampire. <laughs> You're, you're vampires and you're living off blood money. Okay, I'll say it. <laughs> Except for Wilson, who's one of my dearest and oldest friends and has steered me right many times. No, you're right. There, there are some that provide value. They are not keyboard jockeys who solely search two different databases and yeah. put matches together. Yes, right, I, right. I, I agree. I agree. Yeah, you know, if they're trying to fill a, a sixty thousand dollar a year job, they're not putting a lot of effort into trying to put the candidate together with the with the company. And in that case, I I see no ethical quandaries at all, with yeah, with the candidate going straight to the company and saying hire me instead of going through this this headhunting service. And the headhunter has no appreciable skill in that particular transaction. Right. They're not they're not bringing anything to the table. Um, so yeah, I, I I agree with you. I agree yeah. with you completely. All right, good, good. Throw me another one. It's kind of like where uh, has, well, I, I, I was going to say uh, how ransomware has uh, uh, hijacked the language of um, of, of, of uh, malware such that you're not paying a ransom to get your data back. You're paying a fee to the to the ransomware malicious actor to help you get your data back. <laughs> so it's not that they it's not that they hacked you and you're paying them off. It's that, oh, this was very unfortunate that this happened to you, but we have the tools and the key to unlock it for you for, you know, the, the, the standard fee of three Bitcoins or whatever. <laughs> well, in that case, the, they're helping you secure your environment by encrypting your data for you, <laughs> right, right? Right, right. All yeah. you're paying for is the key. You didn't ask for this service, but here they're giving it to you anyway. Right. Right, right. So I see some similarities between ransomware malicious actors and uh, and headhunters there, and how they <laughs> they justify their existence. <laughs> All right, throw me in. Throw me another so, quandary. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, I've got a couple of pages. 
sorry, Matt, your your audio's clipping in and out. Go ahead and restate oh, it. Here's one very specific. Idea. Try that again. That. Sorry, sorry, Matt. Matt, can, Matt, can you hear me? Okay, are we back? Um, so I've got a client, yeah, go an IT client. Um, where, yes, I can hear. <laughs> can you hear me? All right. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, you were so, clipping in yeah, and out. I'll, go ahead. The uh, the wonders of Zoom and and recording across the internet. Okay. Um, so uh, I, I have a, uh, or I, I'll say hypothetically. <laughs> I have a client. <laughs> Good call. Where the where the uh, owner of the company, president of the company, came to me and said he did not want to have uh, a company email address at the company domain name. Okay. Because he was concerned that um, if any litigation occurred, that 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 any emails that he had would be discoverable. And this kind of gets into litigation and, and all the stuff got, like discovery yeah. and stuff like that. I'm following you. I'm following you. So, so, any, now, so let anyone... me ask, let me ask, he believes that business communication would not be discoverable if he was using a CompuServe email address. I mean, this is his. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, this is his, you know, he's watched too much NCIS, CSI, okay. Uh, okay. you know, stuff like that. He thinks there's a difference between personal and company email. Because right. of the name of the email address. Right, right. Because uh, if, if the company gets into litigation, then everything at their domain name, again, hypothetically, sure. if the company were to get into litigation, uh, everything in that uh, Office 365 tenant or Exchange server or Gmail uh, domain that they have, um, that's all discoverable. And, and the... All right, your, your all audio... Can just... But because this one executive... Your audio's clipping uh, out again, but let me ask you the important question. Sure. How did this fucking idiot become the head of a company? Did he inherit <laughs> he had it? Deep pockets. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> he bought it. <laughs> okay. All right. He, he uh, hypothetically speaking, he bought it as a vanity project. Ah, okay. Well, so there you go. He he, yeah. he wanted the uh, you know all of his friends uh, had had their own companies that they purchased, and so he needed to keep up with the Joneses. This is the trappings <laughs> of leadership, right? Right. right. So okay. yeah, a, a, an absentee leader, let's say. So ethically, uh, uh, I mean, uh, as as the person who 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 does the email setup stuff. Do I have an obligation to follow what he's saying, even though it's obviously against what I know to be part of a business standard and, uh, you know, uh, the, the ethics that I adhere to? I would say in that particular example, you can give him whatever he wants. If he's willing to buy email with, you know, an AOL address, good for him, you know. Um, yeah. But as a security professional and an IT professional, it's contingent upon you. We go back to informed consent. You have to explain to him a couple of things. One, emails go both ways. So every time you send one, there's going to be a recipient. And if the recipient, <laughs> right. if the recipient is one of your clients, one of your vendors, one of your employees, one of your contractors, that's all discoverable anyway. And two, right. the court does not distinguish between your personal email and a, you know, government server. Ooh, I want to be careful about which historical <laughs> references we use here. Are you if talking you, about the 
but her email. If you, if you, <laughs> if you are an officer of the company, if you're in an executive position, your emails are going to be fair game, no matter who right. your host is. And you have to explain that to him. It, and you only have to explain it to the point where you feel comfortable that you've explained it, not that he has fully understood it. So at that point, you can wash your hands of it and give him what he wants and right. add an asshole tax. <laughs> right. There's a standard in our industry where um, guys like me will, if if we are being told to do something that we know is wrong, that we know is uh, unreliable or that we know puts the company at risk, we'll put it in writing and hand that piece of paper to the client and say, okay, you're asking me to do this. I'm advising you not to do this, but because you're insisting, this is my liability waiver <laughs> that says, I've, I've told you all these things. You have said you're, you're declining. It's kind of like uh, uh, declining the, um, uh, the insurance on a car rental. You, you, yep. you know it's a bad idea when you decline the insurance, but you're rolling the dice anyway because you're like, oh, yeah, my insurance will pay for it. It'll be fine. And then you wreck the car, and then you're on the hook for the price of the, of the rental car. <laughs> this is my liability waiver that, that, that absolves me because it says I have, I have told you all these things. You are choosing regardless to do this. Sign this, and, and here's a copy for you and a copy for me. Whatever you do with your copy, I don't care. But I'm filing my copy away for the day that you get sued. I see, and I wouldn't do it on paper. I'd send it via email. So there's always a copy of it somewhere, and there's non-repudiation that they've received it as right, well. Yes, right. you know, it's the it's the Jack Ryan thing in uh, Clear and Present Danger, where you know this is my get out of jail free card, Jack. Do you have one of these? I don't think you do. You know, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Well, I, I, that's that's a perfect example. Um, and yeah, document the hell out of everything. Whenever right. there's any question, write it down. Make yeah. sure you've got that record. Yeah, absolutely. Now, does does it? Let me say it wasn't email. Let me say it wasn't something about discovery of some future case. If a client came and asked you to scrub something mm -hmm. that you knew had evidence of wrongdoing, mm -hmm. I don't think documentation would suffice in that situation i think you it would be contingent upon you to say to the client no i cannot do that right right and that kind of crosses into some legal stuff as well because um and not every it professional has ever had to deal with a legal hold or any type of litigation i have obviously because of my my career and, and being in forensics and being involved in that kind of stuff um but not every it person i think would would look a second time if they got uh, in order to erase a hard drive, for instance, uh, especially if they knew that there was something going on. Uh, otherwise, but that the... can be accessory after the fact. That can be spoliation of evidence. Right. Uh, yes, and and that's a whole that's a whole different ball of wax that you do not want to be party to. Right. Right. And so, uh, you know, with me in my career as I sit right now, uh, if if I did get something like that, I would I would probably first ask. Has there been a legal hold? Is there any kind of litigation going on? Is there something that I need to know, anything that I need to know about before I do this? And if so, okay, yeah, here's my, uh, 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 either A, I'm not going to do it, or B, I'm going to document the hell out of everything. Say, say it's wiping a hard drive. I might clone the hard drive, <laughs> make an image of the hard drive <laughs> before I wipe it. Yeah, here's your wiped hard drive. <laughs> But again, that gets into ethics again, because then, right. you know, why, you know because now you've, 
Right. Yeah, now you I, violated the trust of the customer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Do I violate the law or do I violate the trust of the customer? Exactly. So yeah, there, there, there's a lot of those types of things, but um, yeah, thankfully I've never had any client uh, tell me to, to, to wipe any evidence or, or do anything like that. Um, at least not to my knowledge, but um, uh, yeah, yeah. You, you, you never know all, you never know the whole story behind what's going on at a company. Truth. Truth. Uh, and, and you can only go on your best professional estimation and your knowledge of the situation and, and what the customer has asked you to do at that point. Right, right. Absolutely. Because, uh, yeah, if I get called on the witness stand, not as an expert witness, but as a fact witness, Mr. Sonny, did you did you wipe this hard drive? Well, yeah, he told me on this day at this time to wipe this hard drive. Here's where I sent the, the bill for the amount of time it took me to wipe the hard drive. I had no knowledge of anything else going on. Sorry. Don't yeah. say that until after they ask the question. Your attorney, of course, <laughs> says, wait, wait until they ask the question. Don't volunteer anything. You know better than that. Right. Well, this is all hypothetical. <laughs> right, so. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> all right. All right. I'm going to throw another one at you. Near and dear to our hearts, the sensuous sounds of InfoSec. Sometimes gets requests to have guests on the show. Oh, okay. For the first time earlier this year, the request came not from the individual who wanted to be a guest, but from that person's agent, their PR oh. rep, their okay. their their hired marketing team. Okay. That said, "Hey, I've got such and such who would love to be on your show would you be interested in hearing about topic x mm -hmm. <laughs> i guess i've made the big time when you know actual pr folks are, are coming to ask to be on the show right right that's interesting and isn't it how should I respond to that? How would you respond to that if they came to you and said, hey, can you get me on uh, SSOI? <laughs> well, my first question would be, uh, what's the agenda here? Is, uh, you know, if they are looking to use your uh, goodwill, your, your, your free radio show that you're paying for out of your own pocket to, to do some free marketing, what's the benefit to you to have them on? <laughs> oh, I kind of like your implication there because then it seems like the follow-on is what are you going to pay me for the airtime, right? Oh, I've lost your audio yeah. again, Matt. <laughs> right. That's a, I, I've lost your audio, but uh, yeah, they, they didn't even offer a sponsorship. Right. So, yeah. Uh, no, I do like your response, um, and I, I kind of sidestepped that and went ahead, and I said, look, um, I don't know if you've listened to my show at all before you reached out to me, because it seems like you probably just did a search of uh, Spotify with this key term that your client is in the industry of, mm -hmm. and my show popped up on a list. I said, I, I don't do puff pieces. I'm not going to sit and yeah. do advertorial for your cut for your customer for 30 minutes. If the customer comes on the show, they have to understand that the interview may be adversarial 
and I might actually pose some very tough questions, or I might actually attack your client. Is this something your client would be interested in? <laughs> you want to guess that? what the response was? <laughs> you, want, you want to guess? I'm I'm sure it was uh, thanks, but no thanks. Oddly, no. Oh, okay. Oddly, I, I thought that was going to shut them down like the spammers. Yeah. No. Uh, uh, she came back with, well, we're not looking for a puff piece, but uh, would you be willing to do a 10 to 15 minute intro with the client to get a feel for them first and that they could get a feel for you and, and you could talk about what you're going to talk about on the show? Um, you want to guess so, how like I responded to that? Yeah. I'm sure you probably said no. <laughs> You're so much nicer than I am. Uh, I said, you know what? I'm not going to do that. Uh, I've got 113 episodes up on the internet. If your client wants to know what my show is like, tell them to go listen to a couple first, then get back to me. Now this drives my listenership and actually magnifies it, um, by a significant percentage because now instead of three listeners, I would have four. Um, but, uh, no, I never heard from her back after that. <laughs> Was that unethical? Was that wrong of me to do? Uh, no, I don't think so. Because again, it's your show. It's, it, it's your time. It's your money. I mean, yeah, you have no obligation to, to further someone else's career on your back. Yeah. I mean, your, your ethics are, are defined by what are, uh, is most important to you. And yeah, no, I don't think that there's anything unethical about that. Okay. So now let me take it a step further. What if they would have offered to sponsor the episode to the tune of $5,000. Should I have had the guest on my show or should I have not had the guest on my show specifically because they offered that? Oops. And we've lost your connection again. Sorry. Lost your audio, Matt. Come on back to us, brother. You should talk to an IT specialist about getting your uh, connectivity fixed. Okay, there. Go ahead. <laughs> it's not you, hey, you're you're blanking out on me. It's not it's not me blanking out on you. I doubt that. But go ahead. If again, it comes back to if you were would you have this person on if uh, if, if there were nothing to, uh, no marketing on, in other words, would you, would you have pursued this person as a guest on your own? You know, what's really, involved? you know, what's really fucking funny. I probably would have, if he would have just sent me an email said, Hey, I dig your show. My company does X in the end and they are related to the industry. It's not like yeah. he's an automotive upholstery salesman, right? Uh, if he would have just reached out, I would have said, sure. I got nothing else going except talking to Matt next week. <laughs> Huh, wow. Yeah, I, I, if they if they offered a sponsorship, um, I mean, yeah, because I think it becomes obvious to the listeners that if, hey, the guy who's on here, uh, and by the way, we're doing commercials uh, as bumpers to the beginning and the end of the show who happen to be for the same company, <laughs> I think that that's pretty obvious that uh, to the listeners, you know, why this person is on. 
you know, your listeners aren't dumb. They can figure that, that stuff out. But yeah, I mean, uh, th th there are occasions and, and, th and there's an amount of money where, yeah, I can overlook all that stuff and say, yeah, sure, come on. And, <laughs> and that's where the ethics really comes in is it's, it, it, it's not it's not that, you know, yes or no money. It's how much money, because there is a number that exists somewhere because we're all whores. And when it comes down to it, we'll all do, we'll all do you know, anything for a given amount of money. There's not a, a th there is an amount of money that will make me do X, Y or Z. So, yeah. <laughs> You know, and, and it's very funny that you say that because normally, you know, again, if he would have just reached out, if if they would have offered a nominal fee, I, I'm sorry, if they would have offered no fee, if they if it just would have been them just reaching out and asking, I would have said yes. In in this particular case, even until they hit that magic number that makes me do X, Y, and Z, which which for sake of my audience is two point four million dollars, I. <laughs> I calculated this number 20 years ago, and the number never changes, even though inflation changes the value, because you got fewer because years to spend the, it. The, the amount of my lifespan, yeah, it, yeah. It, it continues to decline. So that same amount of money will still last that same amount of time. So it's okay. Um, until someone reaches that amount of money, I would not accept a sponsorship for an episode where the client appeared. And the reason I say that is in my personal experience as a journalist, the every time I've even come up close to advertorial, which is the term used, mm -hmm. it has bitten me on the ass to the point where I almost got beat up by an NFL player in the parking lot of a newspaper where I was working. <laughs> Which is a whole other story that we should talk about sometime. But um, yeah. yeah, no, I, I, it's just a bad idea, yeah. and it, it's, it's one of those uh, uh, third rails of journalism and reporting and conversation that I would never ever want to touch. Mm -hmm. um, it just makes me very hesitant. Yeah, because it calls into question your integrity down the line. Because you know, well, no, I just don't want to get my ass kicked or sued, <laughs> or that too, or okay. sued. Yeah, you know, because yeah. let's let's and I'll give you another. I'll give you another example. Let's say they did give me some financial consideration. I had him on the show, and I spent thirty minutes berating him and how I thought his entire business model was bullshit, which I don't necessarily. Yeah. But let's say I did that. Um, would they then now have a case for defamation? Right. Because, you know, the expert, I don't know. I doubt it and screw them. And probably the most they could ever get back was what they paid me. And then maybe a little bit of punitive damn. But if I don't take any money and they step into the meat grinder of their own volition, doom on them. <laughs> that, that was their fault. Yep. You know? Yeah. 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 I like having the liberty to be able to do that. And, right. Uh, yeah. There, there, there's a cost to doing, you know, uh, uh, free, you know, podcasts and stuff like that. But there's also a freedom associated with with completely being independent, self-funded and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, once you start taking money for shows to have certain guests on, um, yeah, all of a sudden you're beholden to it and you start seeking that. And, and that becomes what drives the show and not just the love of it, which it's questionable whether you even love it to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I would say, What's the value to the three listeners? Yeah, yeah. If if I'm just 
parroting some, you know, spec sheet that their uh, marketing department came up with. What value am I actually doing? What, what are we accomplishing by discussing that with our audience? When you and I come on and we can give our free uninhibited opinion of these things, I think that gives a lot more value to the, to the listenership, right? Right. right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, once you uh, take a, t- take a paid episode like that, who's to say that you don't lose a percentage of your listeners because all of a sudden Ben's a sellout and Ben is now taking money to do these things. And, and essentially it's a 30 minute, 45 minute infomercial for whatever the, the, the company paid to have on there. So yeah, there, there, there's a risk and, and you, you joke that you have three listeners. I'm sure that it's much more than that, but it's, there, you know, what if you lost 10% of your listeners or 50% of your listeners or 75% of your listeners, because all of a sudden you started doing that. Well, then all of a sudden everybody loses because there's no one to market to anymore and you don't have a show anymore. And even though they were paying for the platform, now the sponsor has nothing to talk to. They have no audience, right? right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, so yeah. yeah, you, you yeah. know, you, you burn it and, and you're done for. So. Agreed. Agreed. Which is not to say I wouldn't take a sponsorship. <laughs> if someone wants to sponsor me to continue doing what I'm doing and doesn't want to place guests or doesn't want to have editorial voice in what I'm doing, that hey, I'll I'll take it. I'll take five dollars and seventy-three cents. That's my going rate. I will name uh, your company. I will I will say how wonderful you are on air or patreon.com slash sensual sounds of infosec. It's <laughs> not a real thing yet. Yet, yet, it's not a real thing. <laughs> I should probably start one of those, shouldn't hey, I? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I've, I've told you this before. I think that you would get you know, at least some coffee money, you know. Uh, uh, I, or I could do an OnlyFans. Or, um, that's that's Joe, stretching it. Okay. <laughs> Joe, Joe South on his um, Security Unfiltered podcast yeah. actually has a button that says buy me a coffee on the yeah. website. Yeah, and, yeah. And you can do it right there. Yeah, I kind of like that. Maybe that's I'll start idea. doing something like that. Yeah. yeah. All right. You want to throw one more ethical wrinkle at us and then we'll uh, call it a oh, day? Oh, gosh. Uh, the, okay. So you and I both attended the Air Force Academy where honor was a big thing. Integrity was a big thing. So one of the overarching things is all, uh, that, that I've always thought about is, and, and this is just a, a, an ethical question in general, is lying ever ethical? Lying to a customer, lying to your spouse, lying to a friend, lying to a stranger. Is lying ever ethical? Is, there, is it ever justified to, 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 to tell a lie? In the honor classes that I remember vaguely, and I'm, as I've gotten older, the whole trapping of rapping, killing people with honor is kind of interesting <laughs> and ironic. But in the honor classes I remember, they actually use the term white lie which has probably fallen out of favor in today's vernacular. But uh, the, the, the hypothetical is you go home to your roommate's family's house for Thanksgiving and they serve you a dish, a casserole dish, and you don't like it at all. Mm-hmm. But it was made by your roommate's mother. When they ask you, what do you think of the casserole? You are allowed to reply. Mm, it's really good, but I'm full. <laughs> you're allowed to. Okay, good. You're allowed to. You're allowed to do that, and it is not an expulsion level offense, as all other honor code oh, okay. infractions were at the Air Force Academy. So, a lie uh, so they to actually... prevent someone from feeling bad is okay. And 
the, the difficulty and complexity there is I think the question really then becomes how much is it saving somebody else's feelings and how much is it saving yourself from an awkwardness? Right, right. And there's been entire series of TV shows built around that premise. I mean, you know, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Seinfeld, you know, mm-hmm. all, all of those discomfort shows often have the premise of someone was trying to do a socially acceptable lie and then it snowballs on them and gets out of control. Right, right. Because, yeah, yeah, once you tell one lie, then you got to tell another lie to cover that one up and so on and so forth. Um, right. Yeah, I was going to throw out that. Uh, um, so, so, you know, if you're telling a lie to save someone's feelings, does that, that justify lying to your spouse that you cheated on them? I'm Ooh. trying to keep my, my spouse from feeling bad to, by telling them that I had cheated on them. Okay. Now, now this is a really interesting one. I count this as a separate case, but similar in effect. And I'm going to go with one of my favorite authors and podcasters, Dan Savage, who talks a lot about human sexuality and and relationships. And he makes an excellent, logical, well-reasoned argument in both his books and, and in the show that confessing to an infidelity in a, in an otherwise monogamous relationship is not in fact for the spouse that you have wronged. It's your way of alleviating your own guilt. And you're the asshole for revealing that. Mm. Now, if, if the reason you're revealing it is it's a precursor to, and that's why I'm going to divorce you or, Mm -hmm. and that's why I'm leaving. Okay. That's just part of the fact statement. But if it's something that happened over a weekend with someone you're never, ever going to see again, you don't even know their name. And it should have no other bearing on your relationship ever for the next 40 years of your relationship. Carry that to your fucking grave. <laughs> That's your burden to carry. That is yours. Yeah. Your spouse doesn't need to hear it. Doesn't, and probably doesn't even want to know. And all not, you're going to be. It's not affecting all you're doing is, Exactly. And all you're doing is hurting them. You're, it's, a, it's an intentional infliction of distress. And, yeah. and there should be no reason to do that. Yes. Now. If this is something you do on a weekly basis and the other person is oblivious and they think it's a monogamous, then doom on you. And yes, I mean, you you shouldn't have been in a a quasi monogamous relationship to begin with. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. How do you what do you think? Oh, um, yeah. Again, I think that's a sliding scale. You know, white lies. Yeah. Telling your 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 friend's mom that her, her broccoli casserole was great. Yeah, that's I think that's a perfectly acceptable lie. As long as it doesn't, as you said, snowball into something bigger where, you know, she's giving you more and more of it. And, you know, the, the family dog is full of from eating it because you keep sliding it off your plate and the family dog gets sick. And then you've got to make up some excuse about why the family dog is sick. Can't say it was because he kept feeding him the broccoli casserole and it just snowballs into some, you know, uh, sitcom type situation. But yeah, uh, uh, yeah, regarding the, the, the cheating. Um, yeah, I tend to agree with what the, the you know, A, don't cheat, period, <laughs> because that's uh, unethical and, 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 and on its face. <laughs> Cheating is unethical. But then lying about it, um, uh, it, it, depending on the circumstance, depending on your uh, your relationship, yeah, if your relationship's at the end of it, um, maybe this is not the precursor to I want to divorce you, but the precursor to, oh, let's have a threesome this weekend. 
and in which case it's acceptable. You, you, you still did something unethical in the first place, but uh, maybe it leads some other way. And I'm not here to judge anyone's sexuality or anyone's proclivities with regards to their relationship. But yeah, I, in general, for, for me, and, and, and again, I think that what this whole episode comes down to is ethics are largely personal. They are, they, they have no bearing on, you know, from things like laws or uh, religion or uh, culture or anything like that. It's whatever your personal line is. Um, and, and that's what it all kind of comes down to. So, yeah, I would never lie to my, my spouse about, about cheating on her because I would never cheat on her. And I, I would never put myself in that position to begin with. But that's all, you know, me posturing and. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's, I love you, yeah, Wendy. Yeah, yeah. I love you, yeah. Wendy. I love you, Wendy. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. But flip it. But flip. Okay. Let's say it's your spouse who makes the bad casserole. Mm. Yeah. And that now that's a tougher question because if you lie and say, mm, "I really enjoyed that," well, now your spouse may expend future time, effort, and energy in making additional casseroles, which you will not appreciate. And they will, you know, continue on this assumption for the rest of their lives. Oh, it's something you never really enjoyed. On the flip side, there have also been old married people I know who say that that marriage is a collection of helpful lies you tell each other. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Where, where there may be something that, is a compromise that you're not wholly comfortable with, but is not worth nuking the relationship over. For instance, right. if your spouse hangs the toilet paper the wrong way in the roll. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> yep. You know, chopper over the back. Yep. yep. I know that that, argument. There's just, you know, there's certain things that are otherwise unforgivable in another human being. But if it's someone you live with, you sigh, you overlook it, and you flip the damn toilet paper, right? I mean, <laughs> right. Or or squeezing the toothpaste wrong. I love uh -huh. Robin, but she cannot, for the life of her, squeeze from the bottom of the tube. It's just something that is is not built into her. <laughs> and this is an this is an inhuman act to squeeze from the middle, but I accept it because otherwise, Robin is a flawless creature, uh -huh. and I appreciate our life together. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, anytime you get into a relationship and, and white lies and stuff like that, yeah, that, that's what it comes down to is, is, is the relationship affected by a lie and, or, 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 or would it, or, or would it be affected by you not lying and just telling the truth? And like you said, nuking the relationship, because most of the time, no, it's, it's, it's silly to lose someone in a relationship because of something small and petty. So yeah, you suck it up. Is it unethical to suck it up and, and tell a little white lie? No. Is it unethical to tell a great big lie? Honey, no. I didn't buy that, you know, that car that's sitting out there. That's our neighbor's car. No, I didn't dip <laughs> into our savings fund. That's a little bit more clear cut. <laughs> All right. Well, good. I, 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 I'm almost disappointed that you and I have very similar ethos. Because it is such a, it's such a personal thing. Yeah, I think it'd make a more entertaining show if we had disagreements. Mm -hmm. If we were dissimilar in our perspective, um, yeah. yeah. 
but Sorry. but I like that. It's one of the things that makes you my friend, and and I I think that's what we all look for in in camaraderie is someone who reflects our own personal perspectives and that we can share those things with. I know it's uh, sucks know. that we have such an echo chamber here between the two of us. We need to get somebody <laughs> completely different from the two of us. Um, <laughs> but on the other hand, I don't like to befriend racists. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's hard to find someone with a different ethos because yeah. I'm not going to like them and I don't right. want to spend time with them. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, then. Uh, thank you again, Matt. Great conversation. Oh, great yeah. topic. Uh, glad you were willing to play along. Sure. Um, anything you want to plug? Anything that Network Therapist got coming up or... Oh, no. Network therapist is always busy. So don't give us any more work uh, because uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm overworked as it is. Uh, but if you if you have to get in touch with me, networktherapists.com, N-E-T-W-O-R-K-T-H-E-R-A-P-I-S-T-S.com. If you absolutely got to find my my email address, my phone number, if you want to send me a text message and say, hey, great episode. If you don't, if you don't like Ben, but you like me, send them all my way. Um, if you like Ben, but you don't like me, which I'm, I'm in your camp. I like Ben. I don't like me. Um, then by all means, uh, I'll let Ben know. All headhunters reach out to Matt. <laughs> he loves getting solicitations. <laughs> all right. Uh, thank you all for coming until next week. I'm Ben Maliso. And I'm Matt Snotty. See you again next week for another episode of the sensuous sounds of InfoSec.